Story 4 of Reteef, Intergalactic Diplomat in Space, agreed Short Sci-Fi, Volume 5. The Governor of Glaive, by Keith Laumer. Chapter 1. Reteef turned back the gold-encrusted scarlet cuff of the mess jacket of a first secretary and consul, gathered in the three eight-sided black dice, shook them by his right ear, and set them rattling across the floor to rebound from the bulkhead. Thirteen's the point, the power section chief called. Turning makes it. Oh, Mr. Retief, a strained voice called. Retief looked up. A tall, thin youth in the black, trimmed grey of a third secretary flapped a sheet of paper from the edge of the circle surrounding the game. The ambassador's compliments, sir, and will you join him in the staff in the conference room at once? Retief rose and dusted his knees. That's all for now, boys, he said. I'll take the rest of your money later. He followed the junior diplomat from the wardroom, along the bare corridors of the crew level, past a glare panel reading Notice, First Class Only Beyond This Point, through the chandeliered and draped ballroom, and along a stretch of soundless carpet, to a heavy door bearing a placard with the legend, Conference in Session. Ambassador Sternwheeler seemed quite upset, Mr. Retief, the messenger said. He usually is, Pete. Retief took a cigar from his breast pocket. Got a light? The third secretary produced a permatch. I don't know why you smoke those things instead of dope sticks, Mr. Retief, he said. The ambassador hates the smell, Retief nodded. I only smoke this kind at conferences. It makes for shorter sessions. He stepped into the room. Ambassador Sternwheeler eyed him down the length of the conference table. Ah, Mr. Retief, honors us with his presence. Do be seated, Retief. He fingered a yellow departmental dispatch. Retief took a chair, puffing out a dense cloud of smoke. As I have been explaining to the remainder of my staff for the past quarter hour, Sternwheeler rumbled, I've been the recipient of important intelligence. He blinked at Retief expectantly. Retief raised his eyebrows, in polite inquiry. It seems, Sternwheeler went on, that there has been a change in regime on Glaive. A week ago, the government which invited the dispatch of this mission, and to which we are accredited, was overthrown. The former ruling class has fled into exile. A popular workers and peasants' junta has taken over. Mr. Ambassador, Councillor Magnan broke in, rising. I'd like to be the first, he glanced around the table, or one of the first, anyway, to welcome the new government of Glaive into the family of planetary ruling bodies. Sit down, Magnan, Sternwheeler snapped. Of course, the court always recognizes de facto sovereignty. The problem is merely one of acquainting ourselves with the policies of this new group. A sort of blue-collar coalition, it seems. In opposition that leaves the embassy, I don't yet know. I suppose this means you'll spend the next month in the park in orbit, Councillor Magnan sighed. Unfortunately, Sternwheeler went on, the entire affairs are apparently being carried off without recourse to violence, leaving the court no excuse to move in. That is, it appears our assistance in restoring order will not be required. Glay was one of the old contract worlds, Retief said. What's become of the planetary manager general and the technical staff? And how do the peasants and workers plan to operate the atmospheric purification system, the weather control stations, the tide regulation complexes? I'm more concerned at present with the status of the mission. Will we be welcomed by these peasants or peppered with buckshot? You say that this is a popular yunter and that the former leaders have fled into exile, Retief said. May I ask the source? The dispatch cites a reliable Glavian source. That's official ease for something cribbed from a broadcast news tape. Presumably the Glavian news services are in the hands of the revolution. In that case, yes, yes, there is the possibility that the issue is yet in doubt. Of course we'll have to exercise caution in making our approach. It wouldn't do to make overtures to the wrong side. Uh, I think we did have no fear with that score, the chief of the political section spoke up. I know these entrenched cliques, once challenged by an aroused populace, they scuttle for safety, with large balances safely tucked away in neutral bags. I'd like to go on record... Magnan piped, as registering my deep gratification to the fulfillment of popular aspirations. The most popular aspiration I know of is to live high off someone else's effort, Retief said. I don't know of anyone outside the corps who's managed it. Gentlemen, Sternwheeler bellowed, I'm awaiting your constructive suggestions, not an exchange of political views. We'll arrive off Glaive in less than six hours. I should like before that time to have developed some notion regarding to whom I shall expect to offer my credentials. There was a discreet tap at the door. It opened and a young third secretary poked his head in. 
Mr. Ambassador, I've replied to your message just received from Glaive. It's signed by the steward of the GFE, and I thought you'd want to see it at once. Yes, of course. Let me have it. What's the GFE? someone asked. It's the Revolutionary Group, the messenger said, passing the message over. G... GFE, GFE, what do the letters signify? Glorious fun eternally, Wheaty suggested. Or possibly goodies for everybody. I believe that's Glavian Free Electorate, the third secretary said. Stonewheeler stared at the paper, lips pursed. His face grew pink. He slammed the paper on the table. Well, gentlemen, it appears our worst fears have been realized. This is nothing less than a warning, a threat. We're advised to divert course and bypass Glaive entirely. It seems the GFE wants no interference from meddling foreign exploiters, as they put it. Magnan rose. If you'll excuse me, Mr. Ambassador, I want to get off a message to Sector HQ to hold my old job for me. Sit down, you idiot, Stonewheeler roared. If you think I'm consenting to have my career blighted, my first ambassadorial post whisked out from under me, the Corps made a fool of... I'd like to take a look at that message, Retief said. It was passed along to him. He read it. I don't believe this applies to us, Mr. Ambassador. What are you talking about? It's addressed to me by name. It merely states that meddling foreign exploiters are unwelcome. Meddling foreigners we are, but we don't qualify as exploiters unless we show profit, and this appears to be shaping up as a particularly profitless venture. What are you proposing, Mr. Retief? That we proceed to make Planetfall a scheduled, greet our welcome committee with wide diplomatic smiles, hint at largesse in the offing, and settle down to observe the lie of the land. Just what I was about to suggest, Magnet said. Still, it's essential that we learn more of the situation and can be gleaned from official broadcasts, Sternwell amused. Now, while I can't justify risking the entire mission, it might be advisable to dispatch a delegation to sound out the new regime. I'd like to volunteer, Magnan said, rising. Of course, the delegates may be murdered, but unfortunately I'm under treatment at the moment, Magnan sat down. Which will place us in an excellent position, propaganda-wise. What a pity I can't go, the military attaché said, but my place is with my troops. The only troops you got are the assistant attaché and your secretary, Magnan pointed out. Say, I'd like to be down there in the thick of things, the political officer said. He assumed a grave expression. But of course I'll be needed here to interpret results. What a pity I can't go, the military attaché said. But my place is with my troops. Only troops you got are the assistant attaché and your secretary, Magnan pointed out. Say, I'd like to be down there in the thick of things, the political officer said. He assumed a grave expression. But of course I'll be needed here to interpret results. I appreciate your attitude, gentlemen, Stonewaller said, studying the sailing, but I'm afraid I must limit the privilege of volunteering for this hazardous duty to those officers of more robust physique, under forty years of age. Psk, I'm forty-one, Magnan said. And with a reputation for adaptability, his glance moved along the table. Do you mind if I run along now, Mr. Ambassador, Reedy said. It's time for my insolent shot. Sternwheeler's mouth dropped again. Just kidding, Retief said. I'll go. But I have one request, Mr. Ambassador. No further communications with the ground until I give the all clear. Chapter 2 Retief grounded the lighter, in-cycled the lock, and stepped out. The hot yellow glavian sun beat down on a broad expanse of concrete, an abandoned service cart, and a row of tall ships casting black shadows toward the silent control tower. A wisp of smoke curled up from the shed area at the rim of the field. There was no other sign of life. Retief walked over to the cart, tossed his valise aboard, climbed into the driver's seat, and headed for the operations building. Beyond the port, hills rose, white buildings gleaming against the deep green slopes. Near the ridge, a vehicle moved ant-like along a winding road, a dust trail rising behind it. Faintly, a distant shot sounded. Papers littered the ground before the operations building. Retief pushed open the tall glass door, stood listening. Slanting sunlight reflected from a wide, polished floor, at the far side of which illuminated lettering of empty counters read Immigration, Health and Customs. He crossed to the desk, put the valise down, then leaned across the counter. Her worried face under an oversized white cap looked up at him. You can come out now, Retief said. They've gone. The man rose, dusting himself off. He looked over Retief's shoulder. Who's gone? Whoever it is that scared you. What do you mean? I was looking for my pencil. Here it is. Retief plucked a worn stub from the pocket of the soiled shirt, sagging under the weight of braided shoulderboards. You can sign me in as a diplomatic representative. A break for you. No formalities necessary. Where can I catch a cab for the city? 
the man eyed Retief's bag. What's in that? Personal belongings under duty-free entry. Guns? No, thanks. Just a cab. You got no gun? The man raised his voice. That's right, fellas. Retief called out. No gun, no knife. Not even a small fission bomb. Just a few pairs of socks and some reading matter. A brown-uniformed man ran from behind a customs counter holding a long-barreled blast rifle, centered on the core insignia stitched to the pocket of Retief's powder-blue blazer. Don't try nothing, he said. You're under arrest. It can't be overtime parking. I've only been here five minutes. Huh? The gun handler moved out from the counter, came up to Retief. Empty out your pockets, he barked. Hands overhead. I'm just a diplomat, not a contortionist, Retief said, not moving. Do you mind pointing that thing in some other direction? Looky here, mister. I'll give the orders. We don't need anybody telling us how to run our business. I'm telling you to shift that blaster before I take it away from you and wrap it around your neck, Retief said conversationally. The cop stepped back uncertainly, lowering the gun. Jack, horny, put, come on out. Three more brown uniforms emerged from concealment. Who are you fellows hiding from? The top sergeant? Retief glanced over the ill-fitting uniforms, the unshaved faces, the scuffed boots. Tell you what, when he shows up, I'll engage him in conversation. You beat it back to the barracks and grab a quick bath. That's enough smart talk. The biggest of the three newcomers moved up to Retief. You stuck your nose in at the wrong time. We just had a change of management around here. I heard about it, Retief said. Who do I complain to? Complain? What about? The port's a mess, Retief barked. Nobody on duty to receive official visitors? No passenger service facilities? Why, do you know I had to carry my own bag? Why, why, that's outside my department. You'd better see the boss. The bus? I thought you got rid of the buses. We did, but now we've got new ones. Any better than the old ones? This guy asks too many questions, the man with the gun said. Let's, let's soldier answer him. Who's he? He's a military governor of the city. Now we're getting somewhere, Retief said. Lead the way, Jake. And don't forget my bag. Sozio was a small man with thin hair oiled across a shiny scalp, prominent ears, and eyes like coal chips set in rolls of fat. He glowered at Reetie from behind a polished desk, occupying the centre of a spacious office. I warned you off, he snapped. You came anyway. He leaned forward and slammed a fist down on the desk. You're used to throwing your weight around, but you won't throw it around here. There'll be no spies pussyfooting around Glaive. Looking for what, Mr. Sozia? Call me General. Mind if I sit down? Retief pulled out a chair, seated himself, and took out a cigar. Curiously enough, he said, lighting up, the Corps has no intention of making any embarrassing investigations. We deal with the existing government, no questions asked. His eyes held the others. Unless, of course, there are evidences of atrocities or other illegal measures. The cold chip eyes narrowed. I don't have to make explanations to you or anybody else. Except, presumably, the Glavian Free Electorate, Retief said blandly. But tell me, General, who's actually running the show? A speaker on the desk buzzed. Hey, Corporal Sozia, where's this got them two hellions cornered? They're holed up in the birthday cake. General Sozia, damn you, and plaster your big mouth shut, he gestured to one of the uniformed men standing by. You, get Trundy and little Mo up here, pronto. He swiveled back to Retief. You're in luck. I'm too busy right now to bother with you. You get back over to the port and leave the same way you came, and tell your blood-sucking friends the easy pickings are over as far as Glaive is concerned. You won't land around here living high and throwing big parties and cooking up your dirty deals to get fat on at the expense of the working man. Retief dribbled ash on Sozia's desk and glanced at the green uniform front bulging between silver buttons. Who paid for your pot belly, Sozia? he inquired carelessly. Sozia's eye is narrowed to slits. I can have you shot. Stop playing games with me, Sozia. Retief rapped. There's a squadron of peace enforcers standing by, just in case any apprentice statesman forget the niceties of diplomatic usage. I suggest you start showing a little intelligence about now, or even horny and pud are likely to notice. Sozia's fingers squeaked on the arms of his chair. He swallowed. You might start by signing me an escort for a conducted tour of the capital, Retief went on. I want to be in a position to confirm that order has been re-established and that normal services have been restored. Otherwise, it may be necessary to send in a monitor unit to straighten things out. You know you can't meddle with the internal affairs of a sovereign world. Retief sighed. The trouble with taking over your boss's job is discovering its drawbacks. It's disillusioning, I know, Sozia, but... Oh, I take your turn. You'll find everything running as smooth as silk. Utilities, police, transport, environmental control. What about space control? Glaive Tower seems to be off the air. I shut it down. We don't need anything, and we don't want anything from the outside. 
Where's the new premier keeping himself? Does he share your passion for privacy? The general got to his feet. I'm letting you take your look, Mr. Big Nose. I'm giving you four hours, then out, and the next meddling bureaucrat that tries to cut atmosphere on Glaive without a clearance gets burned. I need a car. Jake, you stick close to this bird. Take him to the main power plant, the waterworks, and the dispatch center. Ride him around town and show him we're doing okay without a bunch of leeches bossing us, then dump him at the port and see that he leaves. I'll plan my own itinerary, thanks. I can't promise I'll be finished in four hours, but I'll keep you advised. I warned you. I heard you. Five times. And I only warned you once. You're getting ahead of me. Retief rose, motioned to the hulking guard. Come on, Jake. We've got a lot of ground to cover before we come back for our dinner. Chapter 3 At the curb, Retief held out his hand. Give me the power cylinder out of your rifle, Jake. Huh? Come on, Jake, you've got a nervous habit of playing with a firing stud. We don't want any accidents. How do you get it out? You only gave me this thing yesterday. Retief pocketed the cylinder. You sit in back, I'll drive. He whirled the car off along a broad avenue, crowded with vehicles and lined with flowering palms, behind which stately white buildings reared up into the pale sky. Nice-looking city, Jake, Retief said conversationally. What's the population? I don't know. Only been here a year. What about Horny and Pud? Are they natives? What do you mean natives? They're just as civilized as me. My boner, Jake. Known Sozier Long? Sure. He used to come around to the club. I take it he was in the army under the old regime. Yeah, but he didn't like the way they run it. Nothing but band playing and fancy marching. There wasn't nobody to fight. Just between us, Jake, where did the former planetary manager general go? Retief watched Jake's heavy face in the mirror. Jake jumped clamped his mouth shut. I don't know nothing. Half an hour later, after a tour of the commercial centre, Retief headed towards the city's outskirts. The avenue curved, leading up along the flank of a low hill. I must admit I'm surprised, Jake, Retief said. Everything seems orderly. No signs of riots or panic. Power, water, communications, normal, just as the general said. Remarkable, isn't it, considering that the entire managerial class has packed up and left? You want to see the power plant? Retief could see perspiration beaded on the man's forehead under the uniform cap. Sure, which way? With Jake directing, Retief ascended to the ridge top, cruised past the blank white facade of the station. Quiet, isn't it? Retief pulled the car into the curb. Let's go inside. Huh? A corporal soldier didn't say nothing. You're right, Jake. That leaves it to our discretion. He won't like it. The corporal's a busy man, Jake. You won't worry him by telling him about it. Jake followed Retief up the walk. The broad double doors were locked. Let's try the back. The narrow door set in the high blank wall opened as Retief approached. A gun barrel poked out, followed by a small man with bushy red hair. He looked Retief over. Who's this party, Jake? He barked. So as you said, show him the plant, Jake said. What we'd need is more guys to pull duty, not tourists. Anyway, I'm chief engineer here. Nobody comes in here unless I like their looks. Retief moved forward, stood looking down at the redhead. The little man hesitated and waved him past. Lucky for you, I like your looks. Inside, Retief surveyed the long room, the giant converter units, the massive bus bars. Armed men, some in uniform, some in work clothes or loud sport shirts, stood here and there. Other men read meters, adjusted controls or inspected dials. You've got more guards than workers, Retief said. Expecting trouble? The redhead bit the corner from a plug of spearmint. He glanced around the plant. Things is quiet now, but you never know. Rather old-fashioned equipment, isn't it? When was it installed? Uh, I don't know what's wrong with it. What's your basic power source? A core sink? Lithospheric friction? Subcrystal hydraulics? Beats me, mister, on the boss here, not a darn mechanic. A grey-haired man carrying a clipboard walked past, studied a panel, made notes, glanced up to catch Retief's eye, moved on. Everything seems to be running normally, Retief remarked. Sure, why not? Records being kept up properly? Sure. Some of these guys, all they do is walk around looking at dials and writing stuff on paper. If it was me, I'd put them to work. Retief strolled over to the grey-haired man, now scribbling before a bank of meters. He glanced at the clipboard. Power off at sunset. Tell a Coruscant was scrawled in black letters across the record sheet. Retief nodded, rejoined his guard. All right, Jake. Let's have a look at the communications centre. Back in the car, headed west, Retief studied the blank windows of office buildings, the milling throngs and beer bars, shooting galleries, tattoo parlours, billiard halls, pinball arcades, 
bordellos and half-credit casinos. Everybody seems to be having fun, he remarked. Jake stared out the window. Yeah. Too bad you're on duty, Jake. You could be out there joining in. Soon as the corporal gets things organized, I'm opening up a place to show dirty tri-days. I'll get my share. Meanwhile, let the rest of them have their fun, eh, Jake? Look, mister, I've been thinking. Maybe you better give me back that kickstick you took in out of my gun. Sorry, Jake, no can do. Tell me, what was the real cause of the revolution? Not enough to eat? Too much regimentation? No, we always got plenty to eat. There wasn't any of that regimentation until I joined up in the corporal's army. Rigid class structure, maybe? Educational discrimination? Jake nodded. Yeah, it was them schools done it. All the time trying to make a fellow do some kind of class. Big shots, know it all. Gonna make you sit around and view tapes. Figured they was better than us. And Sozio's idea was that you'd take over and you wouldn't have to be bothered. Oh, it wasn't Sozio's idea. He ain't the big leader. Where does the big leader keep himself? I don't know. I guess he's pretty busy right now, Jake snickered. Some of them guys call themselves colonels. Turn out not to know nothing about it. Shoot off the guns. Shooting, eh? I thought it was a sort of peaceful revolution. The managerial class were booted out, and that was that. I don't know nothing, Jake snapped. How come you keep trying to get me to say stuff I ain't supposed to talk about? You want to get me in trouble? Oh, you're already in trouble, Jake. But if you stick with me, I'll try to get you out of it. Where exactly did the refugees head for? How did they leave? Must have been a lot of them, I'd say, in a city of this size alone. They'd run into the thousands. I don't know. Of course, it depends on your definition of a big shot. Who's included in that category, Jake? You know, the slick-talking ones, the fancy dresses, the guys that walk around and tell other guys what to do. We do all the work and they get all the big pay. I suppose it would cover scientists, professional men, executives, technicians of all sorts, engineers, teachers, all that crowd. Yeah, them are the ones. And once you got them out of the way, the regular fellows would have a chance. Chaps that don't spend all their time taking baths and reading books and using big words. Good Joes that don't mind picking their noses in public. We got as much right as anybody. Jake, who's Corusol? He's... I don't know. I thought I overheard his name somewhere. Uh, here's the communications center. Jake cut in. Retief swung into a parking lot under a high blank facade. He set the brake and stepped out. Lead the way, Jake. Look, mister, the corporal only wanted me to show you the outside. Anything to hide, Jake? Jake shook his head angrily and stamped past Retief. When I joined up with Sozio, I didn't figure I'd be getting in this kind of mess. Look, mister, the corporal only wanted me to show you the outside. Anything to hide, Jake? Jake shook his head angrily and stamped past Retief. When I joined up with Sozio, I didn't figure I'd be getting in this kind of mess. I know, Jake, it's tough. Sometimes it seems like a fellow works harder after he's thrown out the parasites than he did before. The cautious guard let Retief and Jake inside, followed them along bright-lit aisles, among consoles, cables, batteries of instruments, armed men in careless uniforms lounged, watching. Here and there a silent technician worked quietly. Retief passed by one, an elderly man in a neat white coverall, with a purple spot under one eye. Quite a bruise you've got there, Retief commented heartily. Power failure at sunset, he added softly. The technician hesitated, nodded and moved on. Back in the car, Retief gave Jake directions. At the end of three hours, he'd seen twelve smooth-running, heavily-guarded installations. So far so good, Jake, he said. Next stop, substation number nine. In the mirror, Jake's face stiffened. Hey, you can't go down there. Something going on there, Jake? That's where I mean, no, I don't know. I don't want to miss anything, Jake. Which way? I ain't going down there, Jake said sullenly. Retief braked. In that case, I'm afraid our association is at an end, Jake. You mean, you're getting out of here? No, you are. Huh? Now wait a minute, mister... The couple said I was to stay with you. Retief accelerated. That's settled, then. Which way? Chapter 4 Retief pulled the car to a halt two hundred yards from the periphery of a loose crowd of brown-uniformed men who stood in groups scattered across a broad plaza, overflowing into a stretch of manicured lawn before the bare, functional facade of substation number nine. In the midst of the besieging mob, Sozia's red face and bald head bobbed as he harangued a cluster of green-uniformed men from his place in the rear of a long open car. "'What's it all about, Jake?' Retief inquired. "'Since the parasites have all left peacefully, I'm having a hard time figuring out who'd be holed up in the pumping station, and why. Maybe they haven't gotten the word that it's all going to be fun and games from now on.' "'If the corporal sees you over here, 
Ah, the good corporal. Glad you mentioned him, Jake. He's the man to see. Reetief stepped out of the car and started through the crowd. A heavy lorry loaded with an immense tank with a letter H blazoned on its side trundled into the square from a side street, moved up to a position before the building. A smaller car pulled alongside Sosia's limousine. The driver stepped down, handed something to Sosia. A moment later, Sosia's amplified voice boomed across the crowd. You there in Corusol, this is General Sosia, and I'm warning you to come out now, or you and your smart friends are in for a big surprise. You think I won't blast you out because I don't want to wreck the planet? You see the tank aboard the lorry that just pulled up? It's full of gas, and I've got plenty of hoses out here to pump it inside with. I'll put men on the roof and squirt in the ventilators. Sosia's voice echoed and died. The militiamen eyed the station. Nothing happened. I know you can hear me, damn you, Sosia squalled. You better get the doors open and get out here fast. Retief stepped to Sosia's side. Say, Corporal, I didn't know you went in for practical jokes. Sosia jerked around to gape at Retief. What are you doing here? He burst out. I told Jake. Where is that? Jake didn't like the questions I was asking, Retief said. So he marched me up here to report to you. Jake, you damn fool, Sosia roared. I got a good mind. I disagree, Sosia, Retief cut in. I think you're a complete imbecile. Sitting out here in the open, yelling at the top of your lungs, for example. Corusol and his party might get annoyed and spray that fancy car you've swiped with something a lot more painful than words. Eh? Sozia's head whipped around to stare at the building. Isn't that a gun I see sticking out? Sozia dropped. Where? My mistake. Just a foreign particle in my contact lenses. Retief leaned on the car. On the other hand, Sozia, most murderers are sneaky about it. I think making a public announcement is a nice gesture on your part. The monitors won't have any trouble deciding who to hang when they come in to straighten out this mess. Sosia scrambled back under his seat. Monitors, he snarled. I don't think so. I don't think you'll be around to do any blabbering to anybody. He raised his voice. Jake, march this spy over to the sidelines. If he tries anything, shoot him. He gave Retief a baleful grin. I'll lay the body out nice and ship it back to your cronies. Accidents will happen, you know. It'll be a week or two before they get around to following up, and by then I'll have this little problem under control. Jake looked at Retief uncertainly, fingering his empty rifle. Retief put his hands up. I guess you got me, Jake, he said. Careful of that gun now. Jake glanced at Sozia, gulped, aimed the rifle at Retief, and nodded toward the car. As Retief moved off, a murmur swept across the crowd. Retief glanced back. A turret on the station roof was rotating slowly. A shout rose. Men surged away from the building, scuffling for way. Sozia yelled. His car started up, moved forward, horns blaring. As Retief watched, a white stream arced up from the turret, catching the sun as it spanned the lawn, plunged down to strike the massed men in a splatter of spray. It searched across the mob, came to rest on Sozia's car. Uniformed men scrambled for safety as the terrified driver gunned the heavy vehicle. The hose followed the car, dropping a solid stream of water on Sozia kicking and flailing in the back seat. As the car passed from view, down the side street, water was overflowing the sides. The corporal would feel all the better for an invigorating swim in his mobile pool, Retief commented. By the way, Jake, I have to be going now. It wouldn't be fair to send you back to your bus without something to back up your story that you are outnumbered, so Retief's left fist shut out to connect solidly with Jake's jaw. Jake dropped the gun and sat down hard. Retief turned and headed for the pumping station. The holes had shut down now. A few men were standing, eyeing the building anxiously. Others watched his progress across the square. As Retief passed, he caught scattered comets. Seen that bird before? Barry's headed. Fella Sozia was talking to. Hey, you! Retief was on the grass now. Ahead, the blank wall loomed up. He walked on briefly. Stop that, Jasper! A shout rang out. There was a sharp whine, and a black spot appeared on the wall ahead. Near it, a small personnel door abruptly swung inward. Retief sprinted, plunged through the opening as a second shot seared the paint on the doorframe. The door clanged behind him. Retief glanced over the half-dozen men confronting him. I'm Retief, CDT, acting charge, he said. Which of you gentlemen is manager General Corusol? Corusol was a tall, wide-shouldered man of fifty with shrewd eyes, a ready smile, capable-looking hands, and an urbane manner. He and Retief sat at a table at one side of the large room, under a maze of piping, tanks, and valves. Corsol poured amber fluid into square glass tumblers. We spotted you by the blazer, he said. Baby blue and gold braid stand out in the crowd. 
Retief nodded. The uniform has its uses, he agreed. He tried the drink. Say, what is this? It's not bad. Sugarweed rum, made from a marine plant. We have plenty of ocean here on Glaive. There's only the one continent, you know, and it's useless for agriculture. Weather? That's part of it. Glaive is moving into what would be a major glaciation if it weren't for a rather elaborate climatic control installation. Then there are the tides. Half the continent would be inundated twice a year when our satellite is at Ophelion. There's a system of baffles, locks, and deep-water pumps that maintain the shoreline more or less constant. We still keep our cities well inland. Then there are the oxygen generators, the atmosphere filtration complex, vermin control, and so on. Glaive, in its natural state, is a rather hostile world. I'm surprised that your minds can support it all. Oh, they don't, Coruscant shook his head. Two hundred years ago, when the company first opened up Glaive, it was economical enough. Quintite was a precious mineral in those days. Synthetics have long since taken over. Even fully automated, the mines barely support the public services and welfare system. I seem to recall a reference in the Post report to the effect that a company petitioned to vacate its charter had been denied. Coruscant nodded, smiling wryly. The CDT seemed to feel that as long as any of the world's residents uh, desired to remain, the company was constrained to oblige them. The great majority departed long ago, of course, relocated to other operational areas. Only the untrainables, living off welfare funds and a skeleton staff of single men to operate the technical installations, have stayed on. That explains the mechanics of the recent uprising, Retief said. Bottle clinked against glasses for a second round. What about the good corporal? Retief asked. Assuming he's a strong swimmer, you should be hearing from him soon. Carousel glanced at his finger watch. Imagine he'll be launching his gas attack any minute. The prospect doesn't seem to bother you. Sergio is a clever enough chap in his own way, Carousel said, but he has a bad habit of leaping to conclusions. He's gotten hold of a tank of what someone has told him is gas, as indeed it is. Hydrogen, for industrial use. It seems the poor fellow is under the impression that anything masquerading as gas will have a lethal effect. He may be right, if he pumps it in fast enough. Oh, he won't be pumping it, not after approximately five minutes from now. Hmm, I think I'm beginning to see the light. Power off at sunset. Carousel nodded. I don't think he realises somehow that all his vehicles are operating off broadcast power. Still, he has a good-sized crowd of hopefuls with him. How do you plan to get through them? We don't. We go under. There's an extensive system of serviceways underlying the city, another detail which I believe has escaped the corporal's notice. You'll be heading for the port? Yes, eventually. First, we have a few small chores to see to. Sozia has quite a number of our technical men working at gunpoint to keep various services going. Retief nodded. It won't be easy breaking them out. I made a fast tour of the city this afternoon. Locked doors, armed guards. Oh, the locks are power-operated, too. Our fellows will know what to do when the power fails. But I think the sudden darkness will eliminate any problem from the guards. The lights flickered and died. The whine of the turbines was suddenly noticeable, descending. Faint cries sounded from outside. Carousel switched on a small portable lantern. All ready, gentlemen, he called, rising. Let's move out. We want to complete this operation before dawn. Four hours later, Retief stood with Carousel in a low-ceilinged tunnel, white-tiled, brilliantly lit by a central glare strip, watching as the last of the column of men released from forest labour in the city's utilities installations filed past. A solidly built man with pale blonde hair came up, breathing hard. How did it go, Tane? Carousel asked. They begin to catch on, Mr. Carousel. We had a brisk time of it at Station 4. Everybody's clear now. No one killed, but we had a few injuries. Carousel nodded. The last few crews to have reported trouble. Ah, what about? Tane shook his head. Sorry, sir, no trace. No one's seen them, but they're probably at the port ahead of us, hiding out. They'd know we'd arrive eventually. I suppose so. You sent word to them well in advance? Suppose I stand here with a few men. We'll patrol the tunnels in case they show up. We have several hours before daylight. Yes, I'll go along and see to the preparations of exit 10. We'll make our sortie at 0500. If you haven't seen anything of them by then, I'm sure they will right. They'd better be, Carousel said grimly. Let's be off, Retief. If it's all the same to you, Mr. Manager General, I'll stay here with Tane. I'll join you later. As you wish. I don't imagine there'll be any trouble, but if there is, having a CDT observer along will lend a certain air to the operation. He smiled, shook Retief's hand and moved off along the tunnel. The echo of feet and voices grew faint, faded to silence. Tane turned to the three men detailed to him, conversed briefly, sent them off along branching corridors. He glanced at Retief. Mr. Retief, you're a diplomat. This errand is not a diplomatic one. I've been on a few like that too, Mr. Tane. 
Tane studied Reedy's face. I can believe that, he said. However, I think you'd better rejoin the main party. I might be of some use here, if your missing men arrive under fire. Missing men? Tane's mouth twisted in a sour smile. You failed to grasp the picture, Mr. Retief. There'll be no missing men arriving. Oh, I understood you were waiting here to meet them. Not men, Mr. Retief. It happens that Corusol has twin daughters, aged nineteen. They haven't been seen since the trouble began. Chapter 5 Half an hour passed. Retief leaned against the tunnel wall, arms folded, smoking a cigar in silence. Tane paced ten yards up the corridor, ten yards back. You seem nervous, Mr. Tane, Retief said. Tane stopped pacing, eyed Retief coldly. You'd better go along now, he said decisively. Just follow the main tunnel. It's about a mile. Plenty of time yet, Mr. Tane, Retief smiled and drew on his cigar. Your three men are still out. They won't be back here. We'll rendezvous at exit ten. Am I keeping you from something, Tane? Can't be responsible for your safety if you stay here. Oh, you think I might fall victim to an accident? Tane narrowed his eyes. It could happen, he said harshly. Where were the girls last seen? Retief asked suddenly. How would I know? Weren't you the one who got word to them? Maybe you'd better keep out of this. You sent your men off. Now you're eager to see me retire to a safe position. Why the desire for solitude, Tane? You wouldn't by any chance have plans. That's enough, Tane snapped. On your way. That's an order. There are some aspects of this situation that puzzle me, Mr. Tane. Mr. Castle has explained to me how he and his division chiefs, including you, were surprised in the executive suite at Planetary Central by a crowd of Sozia's bully boys. They came in past the entire security system without an alarm. Carsol and the others put up a surprisingly good fight and made it to the service elevators and from there to the substation. There was even time to order an emergency alert to the entire staff. But somehow they were all caught at their stations and kept on the job at gunpoint. Now I should think that you, as chief of security, as well as communications, should have some ideas as to how all this came about. Are you implying? Let me guess, Tane. You have a deal with Sozier. He takes over, ousts the legal owners, and sets himself up to live off the fat of the land with you as his technical chief. Then I imagine you'd find it easy enough to dispose of Sozier, and you'd be in charge. Without warning, Tane put his head down and charged. Retief dropped a cigar, sidestepped, and planted a solid right on Tane's jaw. He staggered, went to his hands and knees. I suppose you'd like to get word to Sozier that his workforce is arriving at the port at 0500, Retief said. Of course, I'll want to have a good-sized reception committee on hand as they come out. Tane plunged to his feet, threw a vicious left that went past Retief's ear, then abruptly dropped, clamped a lock, and Retief's leg twisted. The two men rolled, came to rest with Tane on top. Retief faced down, his arm bent back and doubled. Tane, red-faced and puffing, grunted as he applied pressure. You know a lot about me, he grinned, but you overlooked the fact that I've been Glavian judo champion for the past nine years. You're a clever man, Tane, Retief said between clenched teeth. Too clever to think it'll work. It will work. Glaive's never had a CDT mission here before. We're too small. Corusol invited your embassy in because he had an idea that there was something in the wind. That forced my hand. I've had to move hastily. But by the time I invite observers in to see for themselves, everything will be running smoothly. I can even afford to let Corusol and the others go. I'll have hostages for his good behaviour. You've been waiting to boast about it to someone who could appreciate your cleverness, I see. So as there must be an unappreciative audience. So as he's a filthy pig, but he had his uses. What do you plan to do now? I've been wondering that myself, but I think the best solution is to simply break your arm for now. It should be easy to control then. It's quite simple. I merely apply pressure thus. Judo is a very useful technique, Retief said. But in order to make it work, you have to be a pretty good man. He moved suddenly, shifting his position. Tane grabbed, holding Retief's arm by the wrist and elbow. His own arm levering Retief's back. Back. Retief twisted under his side. Then his back, Tane grunted, following the movement, straining. Slowly, Retief sat up against Tane's weight. Then with a surge, he straightened his arm. Tane's grip broke. Retief came to his feet. Tane scrambled up in time to meet a clean uppercut that snapped him onto his back, out cold. Ah, there you are, Retief said as Tane's eyes fluttered and opened. You've had a nice nap. Almost fifteen minutes. Feeling better? Tane snarled, straining against the bonds on his wrists. Gold braid has its uses, Retief commented. Now that you're back, perhaps you can answer a question for me. What's the birthday cake? Tane spat. Retief went to stand over him. Time is going short, Mr. Tane. It'll be dawn in another two hours. I can't afford the luxury of coaxing you. You won't get away with this. Retief looked at the glowing end of his cigar. 
This will be subtle, I agree, but it will work. You're bluffing. Reetief leaned closer. In my place, would you hesitate? He asked softly. Tane cursed, struggled to break free, eyes on the cigar. What kind of diplomat are you? He snarled. The modern variety. Sword-cutting, thumbscrews, poison and stiletto work were popular in Machiavelli's time. Nowadays we go in more for the administrative approach, but the cigar end still has its role. Look, we can come to an agreement. What's the birthday cake? Reetief snapped. I'm in a position to do a lot for you. Last chance. It is the official residence of the Manager General, Tane screeched, writhing away from the cigar. Where is it? Talk fast. You'll never get close. There's a seven-foot wall, and by this time the grounds are swarming with Sosia's men. Nevertheless, I want to know where it is, and the information had better be good. If I don't come back, you'll have a long wait, Tane groaned. All right, put that damn cigar away. I'll tell you what I can. Retief stood in the shadows of a vine-grown wall, watching the relief of the five-man guard detail at the main gate to the residence grounds. The bluish light of the Glavian satellite reflected from the rain-parked street, glinted from the leaves of a massive tree ten yards from the gate. The chill in the air cut through Retief's wet clothes. The men at the gate huddled, hands in pockets, coat collars turned up, backs to the wind, and to Retief. He moved silently forward, caught a low branch of the tree, pulled himself up. The men at the gate exchanged muttered remarks. One lit a cigarette. Retief waited, then moved higher. The guards talked in low voices, edged closer to the shelter of the gatehouse. Retief lowered himself onto the wall, dropped down onto the sodden lawn, crouched, waiting. There was no alarm. Through the trees the dark shape of the house loomed up, its top story defiantly ablaze with lights. Retief moved off silently, from the shadow of one tree to the next, swinging in an arc that would bring him to the rear of the great, round structure. He froze as the heavy footfalls of one of Sozia's pickets slogged past five yards from him, then moved on. The glow of a campfire flickered near the front of the house. Retief could make out the shapes of men around it, a dozen or two at least. Probably as many more warmed themselves at each of the other fires visible on the grounds, and most of the rest had doubtless found drier shelter in the lee of the house itself. Retief reached the conservatory at the rear of the house, studied the dark path leading to the broad terrace, picked out the scratched shape of the utilities manifold behind a screen of shrubbery. So far, Tane's information had been accurate. The next step was to there was a faint sound from high above, followed by a whoosh, then with a sharp crack, a flare appeared overhead, rocking gracefully, floating down gently under a small parachute. Below it, inky shadows rocked in unison. In a raw white light, Retief counted eighteen men, clinging to handholds on the side of the house, immobile in the pitiless glare. Above them a face appeared, then a second, peering over the edge of the fourth-story gallery. Both figures rose, unlimbering four-foot bows, fitting arrows to strings. Wack, wack! Two men lost their holds and fell, yelling to slam into the heavy shrubbery. A second flight of arrows found marks. Retief watched from the shadows as man after man dropped to flounder in the wet foliage. Several jumped before the deadly bows returned on them. As the flare faded, the last of the men plunged down to crash among their fellows. Retief stepped out, ran swiftly to the manifold, forcing his way among the close-growing screen, scrambled to its top. His hand fell on a spent arrow. He picked it up. It was a stout wooden shaft, twenty inches long, terminating in a rubber suction cup. Retief snorted, dropped the arrow, and started up. Chapter 6 Twenty feet above ground level, the wide windows of the third-floor sun terrace presented a precarious handhold as Retief swung back a foot and kicked in a panel. Inside he dimly made out the shape of a broad carpeted room, curving out of sight in both directions. There were wide-leaved tropical plants and boxes, groups of padded chairs, low tables with bowls of fruit. Retief made his way past them, found an inner door, went into a dark hall. At the far end, voices exchanged shouted questions, feet pounded. A flicker of light from a hand lantern splashed across the wall, disappeared. Retief found a stair, went up it noiselessly. According to Tane, the elevator to the top-floor apartment should be to the left. Retief flattened himself to the wall. Footsteps sounded near at hand. He moved quickly to a doorway. There was a murmur of voices, the wavering light of lanterns. A party of uniformed men tiptoed past a cross corridor, struggling under the weight of a massive log two feet in diameter and twelve feet long. On signal! Hit it all together! Then, someone was saying. Retief waited, listening. 
There was the creak of a door, the fumbling of awkwardly laden feet on a stair, hoarse breathing a muffled curse. Got my fingers, you slob! A voice snarled. Shut up! Another voice hissed. There was a long moment of silence, then a muffled ground, followed an instant later by a thunderous crash, a shout, cut off abruptly by ponderous blam, followed instantly by a roar like a burst dam, mingled with yells, thumps, crashes. A foamy wash of water surged along the cross corridor, followed a moment later by a man sliding on his back, then another, two more, the log, fragments of a door, more men. In the uproar, Retief moved along to the elevator, felt over the control panel, located a small knurled button. He turned it. The panel came away. He fumbled cautiously, found a toggle switch, flipped it. A light sprang up in the car. Instantly, Retief flipped the light switch. The glow faded. He waited. No alarm. Men were picking themselves up, shouting. And broad stopped a hundred-gallon bag of water, someone complained. Out there fast, men. We've got the door, okay? Feet thumped. Yells sounded. No good, Wiss. They got a safe or something in the way. Retief silently closed the lift door, pressed the button. With a sigh, the car slid upward, came to a gentle stop. He eased the door open, looked out into a dim-lit entrance hall. Footsteps sounded beyond the door. He waited, the clack of high heels crossing the floor. Retief stepped out of the car, went to the door, glanced into a spacious lounge with rich furniture, deep rugs, paintings, a sweep of glass, and in an alcove over the far side, a bar. Retief crossed the room, poured a stiff drink into a paper-thin glass, and drained it. The high-heeled steps were coming back now. A door opened. Two leggy young women in shorts with red-gold hair, bound back by ribbons, one green, one blue, stepped into the room. One girl held a coil of insulated wire, the other a heavy-looking grey enameled box eight inches on the side. Now see if you can tinker that generator to get a little more juice, Lynn, the girl with the wire said. I'll start stringing. Her voice died as she caught sight of Retief. He raised his glass. My compliments, ladies. I see you're keeping yourselves amused. Oh, who are you? Lynn faltered. My name's Retief. Your father sent me along to carry your bags. It's lucky I arrived when I did, before any of those defenseless chaps outside were seriously injured. You're not one of them? Of course he's not Lynn, the second girl said. He's much too good-looking. That's good, Lynn said crisply. I don't want to have to use this thing. She tossed a bright-plated two-millimeter needler into a chair and sat down. Dad's all right, isn't he? He's fine, and we've got to be going. Tight schedule, you know. And he'd better get some clothes on. It's cold outside. Lynn nodded. Environmental control went off the air six hours ago. You can already feel snow coming. Don't you suppose we have time to just rig up one little old circuit? The other twin wheeled. Nothing serious. Just enough to tickle. We planned to wire all the window frames, the trunk we used to block the stair, the lift shaft. And then we thought we'd try to drop a loop down and pick up the gallery guardrail and maybe some of that wrought iron work around the front of the house. Sorry, girls, no time. Five minutes later, the twins were ready, wrapped in fur robes. Reti had exchanged his soaked blazer for a downlined weatherproof. The lift will take us all the way down, won't it? he asked. Lynn nodded. We can go out through the wine cellar. Reti picked up the kneeler and handed it to Lynn. Hang on to this, he said. You may need it yet. A cold wind whipped the ramp as dawn lightened the sky. It's hard to believe, Carsall said. What made him do it? He saw a chance to own it all. He can have it. Carshall's communicator beeped. He put it to his ear. Everything ship shall be ready to lift, a tiny voice said. Carshall turned to Retief. Let's go aboard. Hold it, Retief said. There's someone coming. Carshall spoke into the communicator. Keep him covered. The man slugging across the concrete was short, wrapped in heavy garments. Over his head a white cloth fluttered from a stick. From the set of those bat ears I'd say it was a good corporal. I wonder what he wants. Sozia stepped twenty feet from Retief and Carshall. I want to, uh, talk to you, Corusol, he said. Certainly, General, go right ahead. Look here, Corusol, you can't do this. My men will freeze, will starve. I've been thinking it over and decided that we can reach an understanding. Corusol waited. I mean, we can get together on this thing, compromise. Maybe I acted a little hasty. Sozia looked from Corusol to Retief. You're from the CDT. You tell him. I'll guarantee his people full rights. Retief puffed at his cigar in silence. Sozia started again. Look, I'll give you a full voice in running things. A 50-50 split, what you say? I'm afraid the proposal doesn't interest me, General, Carousel said. Never mind the general stuff, Sozia said desperately. Listen, you can run it. Just give me and my boys a little say-so. Sorry, Carousel shook his head. Not interested, General. Okay, okay, you win. Just come on back and get things straightened out. I've got a belly full of running things. I'm afraid I have other plans, General. For some time I've wanted to transfer operations to a world called Las Palmas, on which we hold a charter. 
It has a naturally delightful climate, and I'm told the fishing is good. I leave Glaive to the free electorate with my blessing. Goodbye, General. He turned to the ship. You've got to stay here, Sozia howled. We'll complain to CDT. Don't call me General, I'm a corporal. You're a general now, whether you like it or not, Carousel said bluntly. He shivered. There was a hint of ice in the air. If you or any of your men ever decide to go to work, General, I dare say we can train you for employment on Las Palmas. In the meantime, long live the revolution. You can't do this, I'll sue. Calm down, Sozio Riti said. Go back to town and see if you can get your radio working. Put in a call for Mr. Magnan aboard the CDT vessel. Tell him your troubles. It'll make his day. And a word of advice. Mr. Magnan hates a piker, so ask for plenty. My boy, I'm delighted, Ambassador Sternwheeler boomed. A highly professional piece of work, a stirring testimonial to the value of the skilled negotiator. You're too kind, Mr. Ambassador, Retief said, glancing at his watch. And Magnan tells me that not only will the mission be welcomed and my job secure for another year, that is, I shall have an opportunity to serve, but a technical mission has been requested as well. I shall look forward to meeting General Sozia. He sounds a most reasonable chap. Oh, you'll like him, Mr. Ambassador, a true Democrat, willing to share all you have. Councillor of Embassy Magnan tapped and entered the office. Oh, forgive the intrusion, Mr. Ambassador, he said breathlessly, but I must... Well, what is it, man? The deal hasn't gone sour. Oh, far from it. I've been exploring General Sozzi's economic situation with him via scope, and it seems he'll require a loan. Yes, yes, how much? Magnan inhaled proudly. Twenty million credits. No. Yes. Magnificent. Good Lord, Magnan, you're a genius. This will mean promotions all around. Why, the administrative load alone. I can't wait to make Planetfall, Mr. Ambassador. I'm all a bubble with plans. I hope they manage to get the docking facilities back in operation soon. Help is on the way, my dear Magnan. I'm assured the environmental control installations will be coming back in operation again within a year or two. I didn't know those ice caps formed quickly, and in the open sea. Mere scum ice. As my counsellor for technical affairs, you'll be in charge of the ice-breaking operations once we're settled in. I imagine you'll want to spend considerable time in the field. I'll be expecting a record of how every credit is spent. I'm all the executive type, Magnan said. Possibly Retief, a desk speaker hummed. Mr. Carlos's lighter has arrived to ferry Mr. Retief across to the company's ship. Sorry you won't be with us, Retief, said Ernwiller, said heartily. He turned to Magnan. Manager General Corsal has extended Retief and Exquator as General Consul to Las Palmas. Retief nodded. Much as I'd like to be out in the open boat with you, breaking ice, I'm afraid duty calls elsewhere. Your own post. I'm sure he's experienced enough, Mr. Ambassador, now I... He was requested by name, Magnan. It seems the Manager General's children took a fancy to him. Eh? How curious. I never thought you were particularly interested in infant care, Retief. Perhaps I haven't been, Mr. Magnan. Retief draped his short blue cape over his left arm and turned to the door. But remember the diplomat's motto. Be adaptable. 